Long after 2020 is over, how will we remember it? Over the past few months, museums around the world have engaged in rapid response collecting, seeking to document this era of social distancing. Much of the collecting is digital, and curators are trying to find the best way to include diverse voices and stories of those affected most by the pandemic. Welcome to the third episode of the Embrace Digital podcast series. I'm your host Medhavi and today we discuss participatory projects in museums using digital means. This podcast series is supported by ICOM Germany and the Berlin State Museums and brings together different voices from museums and the cultural sector to discuss emerging and interesting digital trends impacting the sector today. In our previous episode, we briefly spoke about building participatory projects as a way to deepen engagement with audiences. In today's episode, we discuss how museums can plan these projects, what motivates audiences to contribute, and how can these projects remain relevant for a larger audience, and a few examples. Our guest for this episode, Franziska, is a PhD scholar at the University of Glasgow, researching co-creation and crowdsourcing using digital means in the museum sector. Her research is part of a network called Participatory Memory Practices, and it is supported by the European Union-funded Horizon 2020 program. Uh, there's a link in the description about the program and the network. Do check it out. Thank you for joining us today, Franziska. Tell us a little about your research experience and what led you to pursue this area of interest. Thank you for having me in the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to, to join this. Um, before um, starting this project, I worked in a museum, in the Historical Museum of Frankfurt. I worked as a curator for digital museum practice. And this meant everything from thinking about the digital strategy, um, thinking about open access, but also um, trying to develop a better understanding of what you might call digital culture. So our daily life digitization and how the museum could actually tie into that and connect to um, people with digital means. So we also did a lot of participatory projects um, that involved um, digital media, but also digital thinking and technologies. So um, I, well, we experimented a lot as everyone does at the moment, I would say. And coming from there, I had a lot of practical questions from all these processes and projects that I'm now following up on in my research, um, hoping to find some answers. Um, but of course, in the beginning, you have more and more questions. Right. And as Einstein famously said, the important thing is to not stop questioning. So I will take you and move on to my first question. Based on your experience and research, uh, according to you, how should an institution approach a digital participatory project? 
what are the things to keep in mind or what are the first steps to take? There's probably not one size fits all answer here. First question they should ask themselves is, are we really serious about this? It's not going to be less work. It's not going to be uh, just fun and friendly. There are going to be conflicts. They have to reflect and reassess their own practices if they really mean what they want to do here. They also have to share control and power and these are all can be not so easy processes for all involved parties. Then ask the people really what is interesting to them and find those areas of curiosity. I really like this term. It's also from two uh, design anthropologist researchers, uh, Lindstrom and Stahl, and they they talk about the politics of invitation, the politics of inviting, and they suggest that it is most uh, successful to start not with something that is just interesting for the museum, a topic they've been working with all the time, a very specific collection item, but instead start with an area of curiosity that participants can connect to because it has a meaning for them in their daily lives. To find these, I guess you have to go out of your museum bubble and really go into the field, as ethnographers would say, and really find out what um, the people you want to work with are interested in dealing with doing. And then from there, go back to the institution after you've done this first research phase and um, look at your resources and see what structures can you offer for this process. So then go back and really check, okay, what can I promise to these people? What do we have here? Really be transparent about it. And then you can really start uh, kind of the, the process of collaboration that would, for me, consist of a series of workshops. So uh, really plan a long time for this first phase. It's going to be a fussy front end. It's going to be back and forth and no negotiation mm -hmm. of how you want to work together. And um, But this could build a really good base and sustainable base for your project. Mm -hmm. And to add to what you said, it would also be important for museums to understand their audience's motivations to participate, right? What do you think about that? I think um, museums um, really would benefit from understanding better motivations of their participants because this would also help them to plan um, projects that are relevant for participants because I think most institutions know that quite often they call have a call for participation in whatever whatever form and there's not so much feedback because I mean this is all volunteer work right and it needs to be really interesting for you as a potential participant to say yes I'm I will spend my time on doing this project so it has to be interesting and useful and relevant to them and the best way to find out about this is actually knowing more about participants and their motivations and intentions. So this is one aspect. And then I think, of course, many institutions are using um, the label, let's say, of participation to get funding. And then they also try to col collaborate, but they um, are not prepared for really um, embracing the whole process of participation or, or let's say, to really um, think about this collaboration, not only from what it's what is in it for the institution, but also what's in it for the participant. And I think mm. here we need to shift the perspective a bit more 
um, because then those projects would be more successful for both sides. It would be a win-win situation, actually. If we follow Nina Simon's definition of co-creation, it actually means that you start from a community need that the whole project is driven by um, people from outside the institution who have an interest or need in, in doing this, then I think if you would start that way, you would already know what motivation or intention people have to participate, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And in your research or experience, have you come across any examples of what motivates audiences to participate in such projects? That's a really good question. Um, first of all, I, the question is actually, what do we mean by audiences? If we start with kind of the, let's say, the society, all the people out there, um, they are definitely enabled with by digital technologies to um, new practices of creativity, new practices of communication. And this is something we all do in our everyday life. So um, there is something um, that, for example, um, Felix Stalder would call digital condition. And this is kind of influencing how we negotiate meaning with each other and how we organize our um, social life, how we form groups and communities of practice. And if we take this as a starting point and say this is the environment in which museums as um, institutions that are part of a society and also, in my opinion, have a social mission, so in their museums are located, then really the question is, okay, where, where can they connect to these daily life practices. So I think this could mean for audiences, coming back to your question, that actually museums um, value their expertise in digital co-creation because we're all doing it. We are all we all have kind of a practical sense about this. We have embodied knowledge. And right. this way expressing ourselves, this way of sharing memories and creating stories is an expertise that museums value when they invite participants to digital co-creation projects. So I think um, this is really important for audiences. And this is also something that um, I heard a lot when I worked in the City Museum in Frankfurt and when we did evaluations after projects that people really felt seen, they felt heard, they felt evaluated by the museum. So I think this is one aspect. Um, but then for the people who actually participate in the projects, um, I think there are also other motivations. So um, what, what it means for them is also always dependent on their motivations to take part in the first place. This is also something I'm researching um, uh, in my research project at the university and also something that other um, poem fellows in the research network are looking into, for example, how the digital condition uh, changes memory practices of, of people, of young people, for example. Um, and we are all doing this because there is not so much research on this because it's quite resource intensive. It's, you cannot just, um, it's not quantifiable data. It's not just about, well, measuring the outreach, the measuring the counting numbers, um, uh, website uh, statistics. It's really um, more about stories of impact. So you need to do qualitative research to find out more about this. And most institutions 
don't have the means for that. So it's good that there are some research projects who try to combine this, um, yeah, the museum practices with the user experiences. Um, for example, Europeana is developing an impact playbook that is trying to look more into these stories of impact. So I think there's a growing awareness that this is really important, but I mm -hmm. think it's just developing. I mean, this is still, um, I'm still really in the process of my project, of my research, and I only have some preliminary findings and connecting them with other, um, other researchers, um, for example, Mia Rich's research in crowdsourcing. But motivation for participants to take part in digital co-creation range there's quite a lot of differences in there some participate really out of an altruistic idea of contributing to um, the human pursuit of knowledge to really help this process um, and then there are some people on the other end of the spectrum you could say who really have a pragmatic approach who really think about well this is for me uh, a possibility to build my network because I'm working exactly in this intersection of digital and culture and by engaging in these projects I can get a first uh, foot in the door as we say in German so build up a network and then there are some people who are really interested in the social aspects um, who just really enjoy working with the material. So then digital co-creation is really about this creative aspect, this crafting aspect. And then some people are really interested in learning something because even though we are all handling digital media in our daily lives, we are not really experts in this. So yeah. this is also an interesting aspect that digital co-creation could also be a way for mediating digital literacy, not only to the museum, but also to the kind of end user who is using digital media, but not necessarily has a deeper understanding of it. I think that's such an important point there um, that you make about museums enabling digital literacies. But I'm also wondering that when museums work with participants to create a project, um, how can uh, museums ensure that this is relevant for the larger public or uh, can digital help with that? Mm -hmm. That is a great question and I'm happy that you're asking it because it's something that also Nina Simon mentions in her um, co-creation definition or general when she talks about participation that it's, it's not only about the participants and the people involved who should have, yeah, should go out of this with a, a good feeling. It's also about audiences. In the end, you're creating something for other visitors to come to the museum. And as you said, why is this relevant to them is a question that everyone in the participatory process has to answer. There are uh, some examples here we could maybe draw on and two are coming actually from research and also the participatory memory practices research network. So we have um, uh, two researchers there, Asnat Kambunga and Rachel Smith. Asnat has developed an exhibition together with the generation of the born freeze and in Namibia. And the idea was really to develop an exhibition where they could get in touch with others to start the discussion about this and, and exchange perspectives. So what they did was really focusing on interactive parts in the exhibition. So everyone um, visiting the exhibition had in some way to position themselves um, to, towards 
the, the content and the stories that have been told. So um, they really try to involve the audiences. So it was hard for them to not find it relevant in some way because they, they got them. Um, but also people were in the exhibition present and really started conversations. And this is um, another aspect that you can also see in other projects, for example, in the Library of Generations at the City Museum in Frankfurt, where um, personal stories and memories are collected um, by a huge group of um, authors, people from Frankfurt. They organize um, events where they do um, readings from these memories and where people are involved and invited to join these discussions. So I think um, you quite often need the personal mediators or uh, a form of interactive mediation of this content to make it relevant to others. To, and then, of course, museums, uh, in a way, as experts um, for the whole scenography and the exhibition design, if we think about exhibitions again, can think about ways to, to make the content relevant. But then again, it's also um, a way of what are you producing? So already in this process of co-creating content, um, you should always think about who is this for? Um, so I'm telling my story, but for whom? What do I need to take into account for them to also understand this? And then the the framing of these contents in the exhibition or online is really important. And then the way how the the visitors, the audiences interact with this um, is also important. So I think there are these different levels on which you, um, yeah, in which you have to take this question into account because ultimately, as a museum, um, what you what you co-create with your participants is going to be public. And there's also, I mean, some in some projects you have um, also this combination where you invite people to bring in their voices and ideas, but then someone else is going to produce the output so that the out output has a certain, let's say, professional touch. And so people are also intrigued by its visual appearance, for example, and can really pay attention to what it is about and not feel that, okay, this is really... Uh, why is this here? Um, I, I'm not appreciating this. So I think there are also different ways of helping um, the participants to get the most professional output in the project. Right. And what opportunities do you think digitally co-created projects offer museums in terms of building networks and communities? One thing that comes to my mind is that you probably with um, with a an Instagram um, campaign where you ask people to share pictures where they um, reenacted um, popular works of art you will reach more people and more people will participate because it's only it doesn't take you so long and so it's um, a short-term collaboration and in in these um, instances you um, will probably, and need to, if you want to show that you value these form of contributions, you will need to feature these, you will need to interact with them on the social media platform, and it would be interesting to maybe even collect them, exhibit them, display them in your uh, institution once your exhibition space has reopened again. Um, but you probably won't have a personal contact of every person who did this, and you probably don't need to um, have a constant dialogue with them because you're point like, like the time you were connected to was short 
Um, but then if you work together over a year in, in, in a series of workshops and, for example, you've been through all kinds of discussions and some were maybe a bit more painful than others, but in, in the end, mm -hmm. everyone's happy and uh, or maybe not everyone, but you have an outcome and you've created something. Um, then, of course, your relationship is um, more intense. And then after these projects, I find it really important to do a, a proper evaluation with the people involved. So really giving them the chance to um, reflect on the process and share these reflections with you as working in the institutions, but also the other way around, because probably you've done through a long journey and it's um it's a good you also need to think about the end of this and then the end of the project does not mean the end of the relationship so that is a, a different thing where you also need to design certain structures so for example you can think about a form of um, inviting former participants again in form of a kind of a bigger network meeting that you do on a regular base maybe you could create a form of a kind of a, a club a group of people um, a community that is connected and is growing and where you just offer touch points where you meet all together and besides these kind of general invitations for everyone um, you can also think about mind the personal connection so from every project you will keep in touch with some people and they will come back to you and they will probably ask you about well I found this very old object here could you help me find someone telling me what this is and stuff like that so you need to prepare for a lot more like one-on-one one -on -one communication that is resulting from these projects and if you take it serious you you also follow up on that and yeah, this is then kind of the the small, tiny steps for building a network and a community. You must have come across so many examples of digital participatory projects in the course of your research and also in the past few months. Um, are there any favorite projects that you have? My favorite projects basically are projects where memories or stories are collected online. And there's, for example, the project that's, um, that you can find online um, uh, in, at minnen.se, which is um, organized by the Nordiska Museet. And they ask for contributions, for example, about Me Too, but also about Corona um, and living with the pandemic. Um, then the City Lab here in Frankfurt, where I used to work, uh, also has an online um, platform where they collect all kinds of Frankfurt stories, also connected to different topics and questions. And they also started a campaign um, in March where they asked people to share their pictures and experiences in the lockdown, which was really interesting. And um, I really like these projects. I know there are many more out there. And um, I think they are interesting because they are really going back to the question, what is an object? What is a collection and how can we not only ask more people to um, inter interpret and um, make their own meaning of cultural heritage, but actually how can we also take into account the cultural heritage that is produced by everyone with digital media. These projects you mentioned, uh, how do they plan to use these digitally collected stories? So there is a bigger plan there. I know for the museum here in Frankfurt, um, they also, so they launched uh, the call um, to contribute all kinds of objects 
connected to the corona crisis um, in both ways, analog and digital. And people also like brought like many different objects, like the posters they put in their windows, the signs and some kind of self-made dolls and or, like self-made small viruses and um, that someone uh, crafted. Um, and then together with the digital stories, the, a lot of, for example, images that document, like photographs that document empty streets in the middle of Frankfurt and, and empty um, shops and everything, um, you can create a really interesting um, multimedia exhibition and that's what they did. They have a small display in the museum now that the museum has reopened mm -hmm. where they show um, some of the objects that were um, that were contributed and then some of the digital stories together um, in a small space in the museum. So I think this is a good way and then of course there can be many other um, ways of working with this and it's really important for institutions to make clear what they're going to do with this because it's also um, part of the invitation. If you invite people to spend time um, doing something for you, you should also yeah. tell them what you have in, in mind for doing with this. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think it's a good practice for museums to share their intentions while announcing their call for participation. Perhaps that will add to the motivation to participate. Well, it has been lovely speaking with you, Francisca. I am sure that the results of your research and that of the other fellows in the network will add so much value to the museum community. For everyone listening to us today, the link to the research network is in the description, as is Franziska's Twitter handle, so you can be updated about her findings. Um, we are also interested to build a community of practice, so everyone who's in, interested in, please reach out to us. We have a website and we are all very friendly people who love to discuss this topic with you. Thank you, um, Melanie, for having me. It was really interesting to talk with you. It is my pleasure, Franziska, and thank you all for listening. This podcast was supported by ICOM Germany and the Berlin State Museums. If you found this podcast useful, please share it with other colleagues and friends at museums. I'm your host Midhavi and I welcome any suggestions, questions, feedback that you might have. My Twitter handle is in the description along with the link to the Embrace Digital project. <laughs>